Chapter Five of White Rose of Weary Leaf by Violet Hunt. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Five. Amy's new employer, Mrs. Guy Riven, went to her old manor house on the east coast for the autumn and entertained a vast succession of guests. Amy was found to be indispensable. Under her rule, comfort, not ordinary comfort, but superlative comfort, reigned. Mr. Riven had died wealthy. There was plenty of cash for Amy to work with. She spent it handsomely on the widow's behalf, but she gave good measure of her own commodity, her time, her alacrity, her forethought. Personally, she was well and not bored. She liked the cold, pure airs of the north and the strength of the east coast waves. She bathed, she motored, she rode, she flirted. The son of the house, home from Eton for his holidays, loved Amy with the whole force of his schoolboy being. He was but sixteen, but by his mother and her friends already considered sufficiently encroaching and upsetting to women by reason of his hearty boyish charm. He was not handsome, but freckled, red-haired, and curly. "'If you'll just put your hand on my head, Amy,' he would say, "'you will feel every single hair standing up against you. "'Do try. It's a funny feeling. "'The only other girl,' he added, "'that I have loved was always doing that. "'She was the matron in the sanatorium at Westgate, "'where I went when I had scarlet fever at school. "'Poor pussy, I was fond of her. "'Of course, I never see her now. "'I'll show you one of her letters.' "'Her letters touched Amy.' "'Write, dearest, and tell me all you are doing. "'Send me your photo on a postcard. "'I should value it so much.' "'I did.' "'I would keep it on my mantelpiece "'and look at your dear face twenty times a day. "'I feel I shall never again have that pleasure.' "'Yes, poor pussy,' said the lad, "'in his clear, unemotional boy's voice. "'She used to sit up with me, "'and, oh, how ugly she used to look in the mornings.' "'That isn't chivalrous of you, Philip.' He accepted her blame with meekness. He was too young to be able to stow his different attachments in emotion-tight compartments. He wished to fling all the brief memories and hardly recognized loyalties of his short life into the lap of the goddess of the present, the lady he intended to marry when he had gone through Eton and Oxford. Amy, laughing, used to gaily refuse this sweetly impossible offer of marriage, yet she was conscious all the while of a sense of elation, as if a man, not a boy, had proposed to her. Under her neat chaff, her pretty scoldings, her light handling of him, was a tenderness, a vaguely stimulated emotion that made tears come into her eyes sometimes, when she stood at one of the windows of the old house, pressing her face against the pane and watching a svelte angel in flannels playing tennis on the scanty seaside lawn. What was it? love in one of its many forms she did not know she was content with the boy's sweet simple caresses his brief bird-like kisses possessing none of the properties of passionate love-making nothing grim cloying or intense he embraced her he squeezed her tightly as if it was part of a game or as a child grasps a favorite toy oh you hurt me philip she had exclaimed once, and he had flung away from her pettishly. "'Hurt you? That? Oh, you're not half a girl!' These embraces that reeked of the playground did not seem to Amy worth taking a high line about. 
and if anyone had told her that she was corrupting or even unduly bringing forward the boy, she would have laughed and told them that he was innocent of the arts of manhood as yet, overflowing with positive sentiment, not latent sensuality. Tears were very near her eyes. On the morning fixed for his return to Eton, it was arranged that Amy was to go a little way down the cliff road that led past the house, but in the opposite direction to the station. With the great family leave-taking in the hall, he wished us to have nothing to do. She must stay out of doors till it was over, and not spoil our parting. Amy always remembered the wide white glistening road, like the inside of a shell, and the shade of the lonely outhouse door she leaned against to wait for him. She listened to the desolate cow that mooed inside. Her eyes rested on the flagged stones of the path, with their fringed margin of grass, that led back to the manor-house and the wide road it bordered. He was to come along that road. She felt good-humoured, easy-going, not so sad. It was only a schoolboy going back to school and he would be having Christmas holidays at their house in town in a few months. Yet her features grew tense and the flagstones danced, till she saw the straight little black figure, languid and heavy-footed with sorrow, advancing towards her. She left her sheltering cow-house and advanced into the middle of the track. She had a parcel of groceries in her hand. He came up to her. They were of a height. He took hold of her by the shoulders masterfully, and pressed his body close to hers. She was so taken aback that she dropped her parcel. "'Good-bye, good-bye, darling. Oh, dash it, I'm crying.' They clung together, regardless of cows and milkmaids, in the middle of the shining way, and in the cold morning light their pure flame of mutual love mounted like a lark into the blue. "'It will be six years before I can marry you.' He pulled out a large clean handkerchief and stood away from her a little. The question of years did not concern Amy, innocent as she was of all views for the future. Six years, he would forget her in six weeks, but meantime the joy of that innocent affection and its heartfelt demonstration was to remain with her and soothe her all her life. "'Good-bye, Amy. Amy, I'll write. Of course you'll write. So will I. I shall keep all your letters, Amy, and carry them about with me. Yes, dear, as many as you can without spoiling your figure. Oh, Amy, don't, don't chaff. I believe I can manage eight at a time. Good-bye, good-bye, my love, good-bye. He punctuated his valedictory utterances with kisses. They were rougher and more boyish, not like the silent rapture of the earlier embrace. Then he was gone, a slim dark streak on the dazzling whiteness of the pearly morning world. End of chapter 5 Recorded by Lisa Reichert.